0: Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
1: You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and imane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars and you have meddled with the primal forces of nature and you will atone
2: everybody knows that the days are loaded everybody rolls with their fingers crossed everybody knows Is lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor, the rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows.
3: Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard sarin From Zoomer Radio,
4: AM 740.
2: Everybody
3: knows that
4: And away we go. Good job, David. Manning the buttons and the dials and the doodads here on the, the, uh, the big program. Welcome aboard for Sunday, July the 25th. Is it possible? My gosh, almost halfway through the summer... You remember when you were a kid, and it was just it would go on and on and on and on forever, and after about three weeks, there you were sitting on the back steps saying to your best, you know your best buddy who lived next door what do you want to do i don't know what do you want to do i don't know what do you want to do? Can you imagine having that kind of time uh didn't it, I mean, what is it with the passage of time though when you were a kid, it just summer was forever it's two months it's like eight weeks, and it's done ah to be young again, right? No, not a chance. I would not want to be a 12 years old ever again. However, uh, welcome to the program. And um, towards the latter half of the show, we're going to open the phone lines uh, wide open for all of you folks listening from Maine to Minnesota and Thunder Bay to the Carolinas, because I haven't had an opportunity of late to, uh, to let you speak. So a little Vox Populi on the program. We can uh, call this segment Ask Richard Anything, uh, or if you will, we'll, uh, we'll do some spine-tingling tales. Always a great time to open up the phone lines and hear about your encounters with the paranormal and uh, the unexplained or just plain weird, because what do we do this time of year in the summer, right? We're out there camping. We, uh, we sit around a campfire. What do we do around a campfire? We sing songs, we roast uh, weenies, and we tell, that's right ghost stories so we'll do some of that tonight here on the conspiracy show again welcome three years ago give or take a um, one of those movies uh, came along uh, that uh, thanks largely to the internet became a you can't really call it a cult classic. I mean, by any stretch, uh, by, you know, by mainstream measurements, it was a huge success. It was called Zeitgeist, the movie, and it was based on conspiracies or several conspiracies. The conspiracies revolving around the creation of money or the Federal Reserve. The conspiracy, as some see it, uh, of the um, sort of the prehistory of Christianity and finally the conspiracies revolving around the uh, the events of 9/11 well this movie and there was a um, sort of a reworking of the movie it became zeitgeist addendum that those movies or that movie zeitgeist spawned sort of this worldwide grassroots movement and all of a sudden you had these zeitgeist movement chapters popping up all over the place including here in Toronto and in just a minute we're going to meet one of the driving forces behind the uh, the Toronto chapter of the Zeitgeist movement and we'll find out what the Zeitgeist movement is all about and what they stand for um and we're going to uh, as 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 the conversation uh moves this evening We're going to agree on some things, and we're going to disagree on some things, and we're going to invite your participation, whether or not you've seen the movie Zeitgeist. I was online, actually, today, and there have been on YouTube about 700,000, I believe, uh, unique visits to watch uh, Zeitgeist Addendum. Again, a huge... ...online phenomenon, but a great documentary film. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, but we're going to discuss that tonight. And the, uh, the Zeitgeist Movement. That being said, we welcome to The Conspiracy Show... ...Ryan Jared. He's been a member of the Toronto chapter of the Zeitgeist, uh, the zeitgeist Movement since March of 2009. He's a qualified financial services professional. Sits on the board of two not-for-profit organizations in Toronto that focus on sustainability, that's a watchword that we're going to mention again and again tonight, and environmental concerns. He's traveled to over 40 countries. He's been exposed to a wide array of different cultures and lifestyles, all of which have contributed to shaping his global outlook. He is passionate about sustainability and using scientific understandings and technology to alleviate the problems faced by humanity today. Ryan, Jared, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Great, Richard. Thanks for having me. For those who haven't seen Zeitgeist the movie, or Zeitgeist amendum, addendum, rather, uh, how would you explain it in um, a couple of sentences?
5: Uh, basically, those two movies are used to wake people up, in, uh, in a sense. Uh, Zeitgeist, more than anything else, is, is a way of thinking about our society and about our relationship to the environment. Uh, the movie the first movie was, as you mentioned, um, a lot about conspiracy theories or what the public perceives to be conspiracy theories. But the second movie really is very different from that so if you if the audience hasn't seen the second movie, I think it is quite a different movie in that it goes into solutions, not just uh, these theories or these problems that are faced by humanity now the the movement how did that the zeitgeist movement, how did
4: that evolve from? A movie, a documentary, how does it, I mean, you know, a lot of people leave the theater saying, wow, I was really moved by that, and then a day or two later, maybe they talk, they talk about it at work, but that's about as far as it goes. Now, there are something like, uh, well, there are, there are zeitgeist movements in something like 50 countries around the world, they, have, they boast something like 400,000 members, and you're one of them. How did zeitgeist, the movie, become this worldwide movement?
5: Uh, I think uh, people, generally speaking, uh, are aware of a lot of the problems that, people are, that the humanity is facing in terms of the environment and how we're treating it, in terms of poverty around the world, um, in terms of unemployment, and they've really had uh, no venue to do something about it because the problems are so big and so vast that to tackle all of them at once seem un- like, seemed unsurmountable. So you see all these organizations everywhere in all these countries, these non-for-profit organizations, these charitable organizations that try to focus on one or the other, either environmental concern or poverty poverty or AIDS in Africa, for example. But uh, rarely would an organization, and in fact, in my experience, I've never seen an organization really go after the causes as opposed to just the symptoms. Um, We see poverty as a symptom and uh, something like 9-11 as a symptom. Um, the real causes are the foundational roots of our society itself. And that's where the Zeitgeist Addendum, uh, Zeitgeist Addendum movie introduces people to something called the Venus Project, which advocates uh, a resource-based economy, which is really a solution. And once people saw that solution from this movie, they started looking into it. And that's where this movement really started, I think. Uh, several months after the movie uh, came out, uh, this movement was introduced on this webpage. And people who had seen the movie and believed in that solution after researching it, um, they uh, they all came together and it's become it's really blown up. I mean, I don't think even the movie maker himself predicted that it would get this big. Uh, but uh, we're growing every day, and there's a lot of progress.
4: You uh, you mentioned the Venus Project, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about uh, uh, that. Uh, the Venus Project, founded by the uh, the industrial designer and social engineer Jacques Fresco, we'll uh, we'll find out about that and uh, how that relates to the Zeitgeist Movement, my guest is Ryan Jarrett. And if you've seen the movie, the Zeitgeist, uh, Zeitgeist the movie or uh, a Zeitgeist addendum, or you're a member of a local Zeitgeist Movement, we'd love to hear from you. We'll open up the lines here shortly and uh, get your response. And when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll talk about some of the tenets of the Zeitgeist Movement and uh, what it is they're trying to achieve. What is their mission? My name is Richard Serrett. Hope you'll be with us along for the ride here on The Conspiracy Show, AM 740. Don't go away.
3: Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario. At 1-866-740-4740.
4: The Zeitgeist Movement. What does Zeitgeist mean? That's a German word. It is
5: a German word. It uh, means spirit of the ages. Um, in this particular, in, in, in Peter Joseph's version of Zeitgeist, who's the creator of this movie, of uh, these movies, um, he's really referring to the technological uh, stage that we're at in, in terms of our human development and our evolution. Um, if you look back in terms of history, the, really the only difference between us and say a caveman uh, is not really our physical features or uh, even our mind, but really our technology and the ability that we've had to progress uh, the way that we live today is, is very much a result of the technologies that have been added and contributed by thousands, millions of people over time, scientists and technicians, and just people using the scientific method overall to get us where we are on this radio station to communicate this way or to use the internet or to drive a car or to even uh, do something as simple as uh, you know writing a letter to your friend
4: what goes on in a typical uh, zeitgeist movement like first of all, how often do you meet
5: uh, well it's different depending on the movement it's really uh the chapter there's there's a wide variety of of tasks that they will try and do, but primarily what we do is communication we meet in Toronto we do about once a month. We do a public meeting where people could come and uh, we could introduce themselves. They could uh, learn more about uh, our direction, where we like to go, promote certain events that we're, we're doing. For example, um, Jacques Fresco, the creator of the Venus Project, and primarily the reason that the Zeitgeist Movement exists, he's coming to Toronto in October, and so uh, we're organizing media for him. We're organizing um, the, we have the lecture hall set up, so we want to get as much attention uh, for his presence here in Toronto as, as possible. He's doing a world lecture tour now. Otherwise, we would do events uh, in the city, if there's a big festival going on, people that we feel um, will be like-minded enough, as in they care about the environment, as in they care about, you know, say, documentary films, there's a documentary festival here, that we would go and show up there and just address the public. Uh,
4: no. What's, what, tell me a little bit about uh, Jacques Fresco.
5: Okay, he's an industrial engineer, but he's, he's 94 years old now. He's been working on this subject for about 70 years. <laughs> He grew up uh, in the depression and uh, is influenced by, you know, many things but primarily uh, one of one of the stories he likes to tell is growing up in that depression and seeing things in the in the store where he's walking along seeing all this uh, all these impoverished people on the street but uh, there would be things in the store and they couldn't buy it because there was money in the way they, could, they didn't have the money to buy the food or buy these nice technological products that were coming out at the time but they were there in the store they it's not like they didn't weren't, they didn't exist so he was always confused by that, and he's created this system whereby uh, that doesn't need to exist anymore. And um, what doesn't need to exist? Money, money, money. In and of itself, yes. Money, barter, trade, anything along those lines would no longer exist in a resource-based economy.
4: So he wants to usher in a, a barter, a barter-type system. No, 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 no,
5: no. No barter, no trade, no money. Really, nothing. Uh, very nothing similar to what we have today with the way we conceive of it. The reason that we have money in the first place. As a barrier to getting certain things is because we believe that uh, there's scarcity, so there's not enough of something to go around. If you create an abundance of things, uh, then you would no longer need money. I mean, if Lake Ontario, for example, here in Toronto was clean drinkable water, and anybody could just go and, and fill up their water from there without having any other process to, uh, to clean it, then you know, they wouldn't be able to charge very much for that water. Air, for example, now is not that polluted in Toronto where we don't have to pay for it. If one day we do pollute the air enough, then probably one day you will pay for air. Uh, but it, it, goes to, it goes to the same with the saying energy, for example. The way we live our lives is very dependent on energy. If we, have, if we make renewable, clean energies for everybody, then there's a complete abundance of that in the world. It's just we're not using those technologies. We're not using our knowledge of how to make an abundance in order to have that system take place today.
4: Is he advocating? Um, well, you know, there's an old saying: "From each according to his ability, uh, to each according to his need." But that, that that comes right out of the the Communist Manifesto. Was Jacques Fresco advocating a Marxist type system?
5: Uh, yes and no. I mean, uh, there are many similarities between, I suppose, um, some form of communism and. Uh, and the Venus Project, a resource-based economy, but there are also many differences. I mean, uh, communism never mentioned anything in relation to the environment. Um, basically, we operate today on the assumption that there's an infinite amount of resources on the planet. Now, I am talking about abundance, but there is a finite number of resources on this planet. So we've gotten to a lot of trouble now, say with oil, where we're going to have a difficult time distributing oil and making oil available to have an economy that is based on infinite growth. So, um, you know, there are a lot of philosophies that have been proposed in the past, but I think this is the most comprehensive because it does consider the resources of the planet. And communism always also talked about money, they also talked about armies um, uh, in terms of any practical way of of going about it. And uh, this goes beyond all that. This goes into the causes of why those things would need to exist in the first place. And um, we feel that uh, there wouldn't need to be any money and nor would it result in anybody having any shortages or uh, any wars, certainly. Do you see
4: this um, uh, issue revolving around the scarcity of resources? I mean, do you do you subscribe to the notion that there are too many people on the planet? I mean, would you advocate for some sort of a population control?
5: At this point right now, I don't think there's too many people on the planet, nor if you doubled it or tripled it, I don't think there would be too many people on the planet. Really, um, if you look at the amount of food that we produce today, um, it's done in a very inefficient way, and not even a sustainable way, absolutely, but we can produce enough food for everybody to eat on this planet. Um, so it's not that we have a shortage of food. In terms of water, there are certain areas that definitely have um, you know, certain scarcities of water, but with technological progress that, and using the technologies that we know today, we can produce enough water for all those people as well. So I don't think there's really a shortage of the food and the water So for people to live on this planet, but uh, to do it in an efficient, sustainable way is really the barrier is money. And uh, more than anything else.
4: Well, money, money as uh, I mean, the idea of money as it exists today, you know, it it always wasn't thus, right? We, we the idea of money has sort of become distorted. Um, I mean, Zeitgeist. The, the movie obviously delves into this issue. They talk about the creation of the Federal Reserve in 1913, but even before that, just the, the whole idea of central banking systems and and fractional reserve uh, system, uh, where money is essentially you know created out of thin air. It's created as debt, mm-hmm. uh, and so we become enslaved to to, to, to this. But that's that money wasn't always about that. I mean, there was a time when, for example. Um just prior to the u s uh, war of independence, you had the thirteen colonies the thirteen colonies got together they they printed their own money. It was called colonial script the the, the 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 money that was in circulation never exceeded the total value of goods and services within the thirteen colonies. It worked very well the the economy was prospering, but then of course the uh, the British got wind of this, and uh, the Bank of England said. Wait a minute! They're not charging interest. Uh, they're not using our money. We can't. We can't stand for this. And that's probably what led to the uh, the U.S. Uh, the War of Independence. So, I mean, there was a time when money worked for everybody. So, why can't we go back to uh, a, a money that's not based on the fractional reserve banking system? Maybe it's backed by gold. Maybe maybe not. But but it's it's it's. Um, I mean, money can money can work for everybody. I don't quite understand the problem with. Uh, you know, money paper okay. money?
5: Well, I mean, you're right uh, in terms of the history of money, and has progressed uh, you know, <laughs> uh, quite bad since 1913, I suppose, but even before, with colonial script, there were still people that were impoverished. These people didn't have enough money, but you know, we probably did have enough food to give them a nutritious meal uh, three times a day. So really, what well, money was still a barrier even then, and today, even more so, with the advances of technology that we see today, there's really no reason for money anymore. Um, it has really just um, been so diluted. I don't, I don't think any system that involves money can ever be as efficient and sustainable as a system without it. It really does serve as too much of a barrier to get the things that we want. Um, I mean, people, you really have to think about the system overall where, you know, in terms of resources, we're saving up a lot of money so we could buy a car, for example. But you know, 80% of the life of that car is going to be parked in a lot somewhere. It's not going to be used. It's a really big waste of that resource. So what we would what we'd propose instead, if we were to use cars at all, would be sharing those cars. So say something on your telephone. You know, you have a GPS on your phone, and you press a button, and the closest car to you would just come to you, pick you up, drop you off where you needed to go, and then go to the next person, kind of like a taxi service. You know, nobody would even drive these cars. You wouldn't need taxi drivers anymore. You could uh, make that GPS-driven cars. So there's a lot of technologies that can free people from doing these kinds of jobs and have no reason to have the money and the waste of resources that we have today.
4: Democracy uh, or, or personal freedoms, if you will, I mean, it's a messy business, and some people are going to abuse their freedoms and they're going to take more than their share, and others are going to sort of maybe you know play by the rules and so forth. But the idea that that we're going to... Make everyone the same and everyone is going to have access to say a, you know, uh, you know, the, the same amount of uh, resources and you get, to, you get to borrow the car on Monday and your neighbor gets it on Tuesday and I mean there's something that just – while I think it's in many ways admirable. There's something that doesn't sit well with me, even though I would like to think I would be a person who wouldn't abuse. I mean, because I, I'm, I'm someone who believes that along with personal freedoms come responsibility. And that's one of the problems of today we have. You know, everyone's all about, you know, more choices, more choices, more freedoms. But I don't want to pay any of the consequences. Um, but how does your system address the, the needs of the individual as a, as a royal uh, personhood. I mean, I don't know even whether your belief system incorporates a creator from whom I believe we derive our inalienable rights. I mean, I'm someone who believes, unless you believe in a creator, you cannot be truly free because otherwise, if you're not getting your rights from the creator, you're getting them from human beings. Human beings can't bestow rights. They give you privileges and they can also take them away.
5: Yeah, I mean freedom is a very subjective term. People are going to interpret uh, interpret that differently. Uh, I don't think people are tr- ever truly going to be free when you consider what the impact of their culture that they grow up in has on them. I mean, you might think you're free to go be a radio DJ, uh, but uh, you know, that has you've been gone you've gone through a series of phases in your life where you've had certain choices that have led you to that profession. But uh, you know, really And someone else that didn't have those kinds of uh, opportunities would then be less free, I suppose. Uh, But uh, you know, freedom is just, it's very subjective. What we want to do is give people the opportunity to realize their fullest potential. So you know, in that that way, if we make education free, if we make the, the things that people need that are common to all people, which is food, which is shelter, which is the opportunity to have a high quality of life then, you know, that's uh, it's going to make people behave very differently and the culture will change with that.
4: What better instrument then, uh, Ryan, to ensure that people around the world um, have the freedom to make choices for themselves, have the resources, than capitalism? What better system? We'll, uh, we'll talk about that when we come back. Ryan Jarrett, a member of the Toronto chapter of the Zeitgeist Movement. Back with more in a moment on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1
4: a.m. on
0: Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
4: Some of the concepts advocated by the Zeitgeist Movement. And uh, Ryan Jarrett in studio is a member of the Toronto Chapter. All the world's resources, from needs such as food and shelter to desires such as vacations and cars, should be the common heritage of all the world's people. No money, barter, or trade. Money, they say, creates established institutions that are forced to protect themselves, which inhibits progress. The fractional reserve system, usury interest, and credit are all functions of this flawed system that creates debt, leading to the need for employment for the purpose of paying off debts, a process known as cyclical consumption. Automation. Automation is more productive than human labor and frees humankind from repetitive and tedious tasks. Starting to sound like an and Rand novel, perhaps? I don't know. Artificial intelligence. They're big supporters of that. Machines are needed to make decisions objectively, unlike humans who are susceptible to personal projections, desires, or bias. Machines are also needed to store and retrieve information because humans have a limited capacity for memory. Big supporters of artificial intelligence. Technological unification of the globe. Globally shared technology is required to monitor planetary planetary resources in real time and make the most efficient use of them in solving planetary problems. Scientific methodology. Planetary government is obligated to methodology, not individuals. Governing decisions are arrived at through scientific method, not belief. No property. Ouch. Property is wasteful and unsustainable. It is done away with in favor of a system of universal access, which will be made possible through abundance of goods and services, thus eliminating the need for ownership sustainable city systems unified systems approach systems theory and a systemic approach for a self-sustaining globe and culture can be modeled on a similar scale with a city size system it all sounds so utopian are you a one-worlder do you believe in a one one world government ryan
5: Uh, well actually the the venus project doesn't um have a government there is it's it's a very uh, different concept for you to picture it but it is going to be a global system yes Um, The the resources of the Earth are the common heritage of all the world's people. So whilst the resources are unevenly spread out in certain countries, we have country divisions now. In the Venus Project there wouldn't be no countries, there would be no reason to have countries. Um, So, you know, we'd have to share them as efficiently as possible. Obviously, if something is closer to Canada, for example, then uh, shipping it from across the world wouldn't be the most efficient way. You'd get it locally as much as possible. In terms of energy, we'd use what resources we have here locally to produce our own energy, as opposed to using something that we have to ship from, you know, far off distances. Uh, in terms of food we produce that locally as well we could produce any food we want here in toronto or in any city if you do vertical farming and you control temperatures you could produce it all year round anything you want um so it is a global system but it's implemented locally who
4: who 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 are going to who who is going to make the the decisions who is going to uh, tell this group of people you're going to grow food and uh, you people over here uh, you're going to make uh, a shelter, and uh, you over here, you're going to, you know, you're going to mine or develop uh, these resources. Uh, who, who's who's going to make the decisions?
5: In fact, nobody's going to make the decisions. Um, the decisions are going to be arrived at through the scientific method, essentially. I and mean, if you have a group of experts uh, from around the world, say you have some people in Japan, some people in China, some people in Canada or the States, and they get together, they could all agree of the on the most efficient. Sustainable way of doing whatever it is that you want to do. Um, so, in using science, that we could find agreement amongst other cultures and amongst other nations. Um, in terms of who's but, going to but, do it.
4: But this, when you say you know using the scientific method, that means the scientists are going to make the decisions.
5: Well, anybody who's qualified to make those decisions. I mean, I'm not a scientist and you know, I'm an accountant. So <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't be able to be qualified to make a decision on how to build a bridge. Nor today, even in a capitalist society, are people that... You know, aren't qualified to build bridges? Going to build bridges? They're going to have people that are qualified scientists to do so.
4: They're going to make all the decisions. Scientists? A bureaucracy
5: of scientists? A dictatorship of scientists? We wouldn't call it that. What we'd say is each. You know, you have to be an expert in a subject to participate. So it is in a form democracy. Uh, to the extent that if you're qualified enough to make those kinds of decisions or or choose to be involved in those kinds of decisions, you could participate. But, you know, the layman who doesn't know anything about a certain subject should not be able to have that kind of vote because they might have their personal biases affected. If they don't understand the issues, the technical issues, it's a technical problem. Every problem that human has is a technical one. So, you know, you have to have people that are qualified to make those kinds of decisions. And a computer using artificial intelligence or, you know, whatever technologies we have can make the most efficient decision. You might think a president now would have a wide array of decision making uh, to do, but in fact, there are a lot of experts that look at the economy, or look at certain resources, or look at you know a lot of different subjects. That will analyze those subjects in their experts, in their expertise, using their expertise, and they will come to the president with just a very small number of decisions to make, and there will be one that is high, much higher probability than the others, and so the president really doesn't have to do a lot to come to that best decision because it's basically already in a, there's no argument; it's already been decided, uh, and this w- and the scientific process will allow us to make those kinds of decisions better. In terms of who will be working there, um, there's going to be volunteers. I mean, uh, there's not going to be anybody forced to work in anything. People are going to be working in areas of interest, and we're going to mo- automate as much as we can to avoid the redundant, repetitive jobs that nobody really wants to do. Uh, so, now, while there will be some jobs, certainly at this point in our technological advancement, that maybe nobody really wants to do, if you look around uh, in westernized countries, there are millions of people that volunteer in in. in you know, helping the poor or or treating the, or helping the environment. And you know, while there won't be any poor in the society, we could just transfer those people to doing those kinds of tasks in a limited way. I mean, they wouldn't have to do a lot of work. Certainly, if you automate most things, you know, people are going to be working as much as they want, maybe five hours a week, ten hours a week, whatever they choose to do.
4: Automation was supposed to be, uh, you know, uh, this wonderful thing, it was going to create tons of leisure time. Uh, anyone that uh, owns a personal computer quickly discovered uh, quite the opposite. In fact, happened uh, in terms of resources. Where we, you know we we print more paper than ever and 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 uh, and throw it away because we're tactile. You know it, you can see it on the computer screen, but it doesn't really exist until you can hold it in your hands and take a, a highlighter and so forth. So you know that was sort of the first thing that we discovered. The other one is now that we have computers in our home. It really doesn't save us any leisure time. We're working, we're working, you know, more than ever. We're accessible now more than ever. There's sort of this anticipation or expectation on the part of employers that we're sort of plugged in and reachable almost twenty-four-seven. So I don't see technology as as uh, having delivered that delivered on that dream of you know more leisure time.
5: It hasn't. you right. Know, uh, actually, you, you do have a very good point. But um, I think that the people the people that are you know. In their jobs, where they're using technology, and ended up working more now is because of the stress of the job. And the economy has to be supported; it always has to grow. There's a monetary reason uh, behind a lot of those stress factors. Um, not to mention, you know, the service industry as it stands um, it's kind of a joke. I mean, uh, you know, you could build cars that don't break down so quickly, but if you did, then there'd be a lot less money to make. I mean, a, a car manufacturer such as GM, if if the car breaks down quickly, they build it to last no more than three or four years. You know, they want it to break down throughout, so you'll go in and, and go to the parts manufacturers more, you'll go to the service centers for which they own, and uh, profit off of you going there. So if they made a car that would last 40, 50 years without any maintenance, that would know, be a disaster for the economy, a disaster for the company. they they go broke. We're not really using the technologies that we know how to use in the best way, and without a profit motive, we will, or we'd have a lot more incentive. What incentive would we have not to?
4: The idea of a, a world run by um, artificial intelligence, quite frankly, scares me. Uh, we have robots now, uh, virtually uh, in the battlefields. We have um, we have uh, drones flying around. Uh, we have not exactly, you know, uh, Terminator-type uh, robots on the ground in Afghanistan, but we're getting there. We have. Uh, uh, tanks, remote control tanks, and so forth, and we're we're only a couple of generations away, maybe even closer. Maybe DARPA has something sitting on the back shelf we don't know about, but we're we're very close to um, artificial intelligence uh, devices making their own decisions. Right now, they have sort of there's a human interface that sort of processes the data, but it's just a matter of time before we take the human equation out. And all of a sudden, we have machines making these decisions, making these decisions not based on, um, well, based purely on logic. And what gets lost there, uh, in 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 my mind, is is you know the the human spirit. Um, We're not always logical. Sometimes, you know, humans like democracy, we're messy we uh, were complex but if you remove the human equation from the decision making process to me it's very cold and sterile and everything you know might be perfect but soulless <laughs>
5: uh, i can see where you're going with it i mean in terms of uh, automated uh, drones uh, they could be used the technology in and of itself is not good or bad um, You could use it in an ar- army could use it and it could you know blow up people in pakistan that 's one option, but you could also have army dr- uh, the same drones the same technology being used to fly uh, aircraft where which passengers want to go to the other side of the world and then you wouldn 't have to have a pilot actually working in there in, in you know in that m- at all and you you 'd have a much higher degree of accuracy not that there are a lot of plane crashes today, but you know certainly if you make the technology as good as it is. You probably wouldn't have any, go um, uh, very, very, very low probability um, of having a plane crash. So you know, technology can be used uh, for a much more efficient way than humans getting in the way. Unfortunately, now in terms of like uh, you know the beauty of being human and making these kinds of decisions, look at where it's gotten us. I mean, uh, there's. <laughs> We're destroying this planet, if, if you ask me. There's a lot of um, environmental destruction, poverty, there's, there's crime, I mean, there's, there's really horrible things going on in this world that clearly the, the human answer doesn't seem to be the best one for the humans. Um, so if we do automate as much as possible, you know, again, again, like we're not going to automate everything. Humans are going to be involved in this process, and we still have to advance. So humans are going to be involved in that advancement. Uh, but uh, people could participate any way they want if if they want to have you know certain decisions made by humans as opposed to machines while we would think it's probably less efficient to do so in su- in such a world it would be possible
4: what if i don't want to go along with the majority maybe i decide that i'm the decision maker or as george w bush said i'm the decider <laughs> for my family and i want to carve out my own little plot of land and maybe maybe you know prior to the uh, the zeitgeist sort of regime taking over maybe this piece of land was handed down to me generation after generation after generation and so while the rest of the world has sort of gone into this utopian uh sort of you wouldn't use the term socialist but i might use the term socialist type regime i want to hold on to my piece of land and i want to defend my piece of land and i will if necessary how is your society going to deal with someone like me who who I decide that I want to be an individual, and I want my family to grow up as sort of royal personhoods, living under God.
5: Uh, it's, I mean, it's a difficult question, isn't a different answer for every person in the situation. But we have to understand why it is that you feel that way in the first place, and that's and that's our society generally telling you, growing up in an environment where that kind of behavior is rewarded or encouraged. In our society, that kind of behavior is not going to be uh, appreciated uh, very much because um, you know you, you, the, the group will benefit a lot better, including the individuals in the group. everybody will benefit a lot better if they if you don 't hold certain pieces of land and influence say a city that wants to be developed uh, one of uh, one of the cities that we propose to be developed on that area so it is primarily an educational issue i think um, with these uh, with these kinds of people. And um, the more we spread this information, and the more people become a sub, sub, complex subject, I mean, sure. watching this movie uh, will get you an introduction, and maybe read, seeing some of the lectures online, which are all available for free, will get you, again, closer. But you really start have to, reading a lot, have to start reading a lot of books on the subject, and are questioning Are you going to send everything. me to a re-education camp, Ryan? <laughs> it's what it is, though. I mean, you're basically brainwashed into our society, thinking that this piece of paper exists for a purpose that is beneficial in some way.
4: When you well, say this piece of paper, you're talking about money?
5: That piece of money, yeah, yeah. money. No, no
4: I, I, I'm on the same page. I mean, I, I think m- money as it exists now is a, essentially a giant Ponzi scheme. Yeah. I want to go back to the future. Uh, I want to go back to a time when money meant something. Maybe it was backed by gold. Uh, but I also want to go... See, I, I think we're actually further along uh, the road down to, to your way of thinking than maybe you think. And I'm getting a taste of that now, and I want to run in the opposite direction. I'm seeing a great deal of automation and, and technology. I'm seeing the uh, the destruction of the human spirit as a result of technology, technology erasing our identity, technology creating violence because of the loss of I- the scrubbing away of identity. I mean, Marshall McLuhan talked about a lot of these things. Um, you know, everyone's plugged into their iPod and their... And their computer and they don't relate to other human beings. To me that's the missing equation. But I mean I think we're further along into this sort of the social more of a socialistic dystopia. Um but I let me ask you this. Is there
5: is there is there space
4: for God in your um in your worldview?
5: Well, absolutely. I mean, people are free to choose to believe whatever it is they want. Um, What we encourage is for people not to push those beliefs on others. So we would encourage a much more open-minded outlook on it. I mean, organized religion seems to um, basically promote one way of thinking. We want to promote several ways of thinking. So instead of a school teaching um, somebody about the Bible, maybe we would teach them also about the Quran or, or other texts. Um, that uh, would give them a more diverse outlook.
4: But we have that. I mean, in fact, I mean the, God basically has been expunged from the public school system uh, for the last 40 years. In certain countries, yes. In other countries, no.
5: But I mean, if you look at yeah. a global system, it's, it's a mix. Um, generally speaking, we would want to get away from religion. Um, in, uh, you know, an independent religion, as in your personal belief, is the most healthy uh, viewpoint that I could come up with, um, so it doesn't influence other people. And uh, we see when, when people do get into groups of religion and, and believe that their way is somehow superior to others, that's when some conflicts start to arise. So the more we break down those barriers, these artificial barriers that separate humans from each other, um, the better, I think, human humanity will be and the less suffering we'll have.
4: But with all due respect, one could look at science as the new religion and the Society that you're envisi- envisi- envisaging, uh, envisioning, rather, uh, could almost be perceived as sort of a theocracy. It's this uh, a dictatorship of these scientific bureaucrats who will decide, you know, what is best for humanity based on their expertise. But you know, the scientific method. One of the things I find interesting is people will say, "Well, when it comes to this subject or this subject, the science is in." Well, that's an anathema to the scientific method. The scientific method really is about the fact that the science is never in, yeah. you know, we're constantly reevaluating, right. evaluating, we're constantly questioning. Uh, but I mean, I look at the world today again, I see we're further down this road than we may think. I think the new religion is science. And, and, um, I mean, I, I think a lot of organized religions are, are really under siege. I mean, there is sort of this, you know, there is the institution of the church, uh, but in terms of, uh, you know, uh, individual belief systems and, 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 and a belief in, in, in God, for example. I mean, you get hauled off a plane uh, if you're seen praying too vigorously. I mean, there are Orthodox Jews that were pulled off planes because they were, you know, they were, they were what better place to pray and what more appropriate time to pray than before, you know, this plane takes off. Is it going to land? I don't know. I'm going to pray. People being hauled off planes. The suggestion, I've heard it on this radio show, that we
5: shouldn't be allowed to pray in public yeah i mean we're not uh, there's no, there's no government in our system so there's no one could enforce that kind of behavior uh, or prevent it um all we're looking for is to have an educated public so we'll realize that praying while sometimes might actually work out the way that you thought it you, you hoped it might uh it's just a matter of probability uh, in the end so the more educated people are that's a uh, bias <laughs> You know, you could say that, I suppose. I can't really prove you wrong here. Religion is a very difficult thing to discuss because people take it very personally. Mm. But uh, you know, science is the best we've got in terms of how we could understand this earth, where we came from, and uh, you know, where we're going. Except, except,
4: Ryan, that 99% of this universe is made up of something called gray matter, and uh, we know about 5% of what's going on with with dark matter, rather. Dark matter, dark energy. So, we really don't know anything (laughs) when it comes right down to it. All right, we'll come back and continue to discuss the Zeitgeist Movement. Ryan Jarrett, a member of the Toronto chapter of the Zeitgeist Movement. More of The Conspiracy Show after this.
3: Curiosity? Or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. From Zuma Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario at
4: 1-866-740-4740. A little later in the program, open lines... You can ask me anything about uh, things you've heard on the program or uh, anything to do with a conspiratorial uh, conspiratorial, uh, paranormal uh, subject matter. Anything we discuss on the show is uh, fair game. Again, that's a little later. Right now, Ryan Jared stays with us, a member of the Toronto chapter of the Zeitgeist Movement. Maybe you've seen Zeitgeist the movie or Zeitgeist Addendum. And... Um, The movement, the Zeitgeist Movement, is an activist arm of the Venus Project and currently operates in over 50 countries with over 400,000 members. They promote a complete redesign of our culture and provide solutions to address the age-old problems such as poverty, crime, greed, and corruption and uh, in what is termed a resource-based economy. This in-depth proposal considers all aspects of society from government, health, education, employment, the environment, city structures and designs and the usage of the highest and most sustainable forms of technology available in the world today. Energy. Um, do you believe that... Uh, what, what sort of alternative energy do you see on the horizon that we should be embracing? I mean... Um, some people see, you know, see that we're, we we are sort of enslaved to the um, to uh, to fossil fuels, but the alternatives really have not proven to be really practical. Uh, they're not, you know, economically viable, including wind or solar. What, what else is there? Uh, uh, nuclear is, uh, is, is uh, the answer for some, but not for others. What do you see as the, the long-term solution in terms of energy?
5: I think when you see the shortcomings of wind or solar that's mentioned in the media, uh, you really see a economic shortage, as in money, I mean, the infrastructure to put into place uh, is very expensive. Even other forms of renewable energy seem to be very costly because the companies uh, that are making that are very few and uh, obviously they want to make a big profit um, off of this kind of energy and implement infrastructure. So uh, when you think about the Venus Project, uh, you have to erase that idea from your mind, the money problem. What We have to ask what's technically possible. What resources do we have to make energy locally? So, I mean, here in... Toronto, we have Lake Ontario. Lake Ontario is a very deep lake, so we have uh, the difference in temperature between the bottom of the lake and the top of the lake, and that that difference in temperature alone creates energy, and that's a, that's a renewable form of energy. They're not going to run out of that. So, Yeah, there can, are a couple
4: of buildings in downtown Toronto that are being cooled yes. uh, using It's sort of a take on geothermal, I guess.
5: It is. Geothermal uh, is you know one of the If you watch the movie, that's one of the primary um, energy sources that we think would work in many areas of the world. Um, and it could produce more energy than we currently consume on a global basis. Just geothermal alone. Uh, if you look at you know tidal and wave uh, for coastline areas, that's a very efficient way of making energy as well. Um, you know, there's, there's I would recommend a film called Our Technical Reality, which is made by um, a, a member of the Zeitgeist movement, and he goes into a lot of different forms of renewable energy uh that uh that can be used, but again, it's a local implementation, so really, where the resources are abundant where where your location is if you're in Saudi Arabia, likely you'd use solar you know if uh you're you're in here in Toronto, you know probably solar wouldn't be the only way to go it might be you know some way to go and for part part of the energy source, maybe some wind you know maybe uh, you know it really depends on it's very location specific, but we want to make that as local as possible <clears throat> so um renewable energy is completely abundant really if if we start doing this appropriately um in terms of what we can do now rather than what it costs
4: but i mean there's so much more to petroleum obviously than you know the gasoline that we pump into the car or the the heating oil that we put into our our, um, our furnaces we are so tied into petroleum not only in terms of agriculture because pesticides uh, are, are produced, you know, using in, in the petroleum industry, um, medicine, um, many of the chemicals that we take for granted that we use in our daily lives. People hear chemicals and they think, "Ooh, that's a bad thing." I mean, we, chemistry is everything, right? So, uh, I mean, and our dollar really is is based on. It's a petrodollar. It's not based on gold anymore, of course, but it's it's based on, on uh, on um, oil. So, if we just unplug from the um, the oil industry, our, our economy would collapse. I mean, in the interim, before we get from where we are now to where you'd like us to be, there would be absolute bedlam.
5: We expect there to be bedlam, actually. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the peak oil movement, which is something that uh, most people in the zeitgeist movement follow closely, uh, you we you do note that actually we are very dependent on fossil fuels, especially oil. And if oil prices were to spike um, in terms of, uh, you know, the availability of oil and easy access to oil becoming, uh, you know, having a shortage, then we're going to have a lot of problems in our society with our food, with our transportation. So we really want to get off of this system of fossil fuels as soon as possible. Now, the alternatives are there. They technically exist. We could make uh, planes. We could make um, cars that don't run on oil. Um, but you know, the technology that really has been invented up to this point is usually bought up by car manufacturers or oil companies themselves so the the innovation you know stops in its tracks rather than progresses and obviously they have incentive to do that they want business as usual they don't want to change things and and corporations aren't generally there to change they're they're there to keep the power that they have so uh, when you stop thinking about the profit and you are thinking about what we can do and and instead of the money you think about um, you know what's possible what have we come up with what can we use now in the interim um, I think even this system, in the interim, would be a lot more beneficial without money uh, than uh, you know than what we have today. Unfortunately, I think it will take some kind of a collapse, either a you know peak oil-related collapse or some other kind of economic collapse that we saw you know at the beginnings of in 2008, um, to happen before people start questioning the system itself and saying, "What is an alternative to this system? We don't want to go back here again. We don't want to have to this this repeat itself. History has been repeating itself over and over." Um, in terms of uh, civilizations deteriorating or uh, unemployment or war. Um, so what is a system that can work is very different, and that's where we come along in terms of after that transition, where do we go? And I think uh, if people are looking for some alternative after peak oil or whatever collapse they foresee, I think uh, this is a wonderful one to explore.
4: So you are in anticipating some sort of a cataclysmic event, whether it's a total economic meltdown, whether it's some, I don't know, um you know massive coronal ejection that uh, that causes our power grids to fail for an indeterminate period of time uh you're seeing sort of a new dark age and from that hopefully will emerge this utopia that that uh, you see no you know artificial intelligence uh, no money um, is, that, is that what's going to uh, Yeah, well, out?
5: I mean, we, we don't know what's going to happen. We, <laughs> we would obviously advocate our method uh, of, of approaching a, a society that's better for everybody than the one that's currently in existence or any other one that I've heard of that's been proposed or used in the past. Um, we can't predict the future, but uh, you know, based on the evidence that I've seen, that I've uh, researched, it seems likely that there will be some kind of collapse. An infinite growth paradigm, I think, that we currently live in is not sustainable. And any system that exists that will be replacing this, this paradigm sh- has to take into account the environment, has to take into account the resources of the planet. And if it doesn't, then it's doomed to fail.
4: Zeitgeist the movie, um, you know, there's the, um, the chapter in the movie that deals with the, the, con- the 9-11 conspiracy. So I'm gathering that, um, because the movement is based upon the film, that you subscribe to certain conspiracy theories, whether it's 9-11, but maybe, you, know, you have a, a particular worldview that, that is under, underpinned by sort of a conspiratorial perception of history. Is that accurate?
5: Uh, you know, yes and no. Uh, the first movie, I think, was made um, before uh, Peter Joseph, the, the creator of the movie, actually even knew about the Venus Project. So, um, you know, that, uh, that particular outlook is really just a way of thinking. And I think that 's what primarily what people should see that first movie as being about, whether or not you subscribe to the mainstream uh, view of nine eleven or say peter joseph 's view of nine eleven it doesn 't really uh, it 's not really relevant in terms of what happened in the second movie where we talked about solutions because you know what we what we want people to think about is critical thinking and challenging the mainstream story, challenging any any information they get, including information that i 'm going to talk about here or anything proposed by the zeitgeist movement or the Venus Project. Uh, so, you know, the, when, when you think about why 9-11 happened in the first place, whether it was uh, governments uh, conspiring to have that happen or, uh, you know, Islamic, uh, you know, uh, people, uh, you know, Muslims from, uh, you know, the other side of the world, it makes no difference really. They, they had a motivation to do it and, and the motivation is what we're trying to address here, the causes, the causes behind it. If it was profit, you know, likely it had to do with some kind of money or power, whoever was in charge Whoever, you know, dictated those kinds of decisions, that's what they were motivated by. In a Venus Project system, we have no money. And, you know, without money, power is going to go away. So, you know, we're not going to have those same issues, I think, anymore when the high quality of life is given to everyone without a price tag.
4: I mentioned 9-11 because, uh, you know, you, we're familiar with the the, uh, the Hegelian dialectic or, you um, you know, you you create... The disease in order to offer the cure, so one theory about nine eleven was that uh, whether it was the architects of the uh, the project for a new American century, uh, you know someone within the military industrial complex uh decided we needed a new Pearl Harbor as was stated in the you know the document the mm-hmm. blueprint for the new american uh, century we needed a new pearl harbor in order to galvanize uh, the american public and public support uh, and those in the west for you know further forays uh, into um, well imperial uh, adventures and you know establishing permanent bases in the middle east and so forth in, in order to to create this bulwark against, you know, the next bogeyman, whether it's China or Russia, etc. Um, what 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 puzzles me is that, that people that that uh, and I include myself uh, among them to a certain extent that to have that overarching view of history that this is the way history unfolds. Very powerful, very uh, rich people uh, decide or try to decide for the rest of us what's best for the rest of us. And so they try to stage manage events. And some of them are actually well intended. Um, but this idea of, you know, creating the disease in order to offer the cure, it, it's, it's, you know, you see these people that protest the G20 summits. hmm and and yet those people that that see these these leaders sort of conspiring against them also will turn around and support a lot of these sort of in world environmental movements like Kyoto, which, to my way of thinking, are are being created by those very same people that masterminded nine eleven or you know the same people that. Uh, that sort of inform the, the zeitgeist uh, at the G20 summits. I mean, I, I don't understand why people who would support Kyoto or who would protest G20 would turn around and support Kyoto. I mean, to me, global warming is just a... is create the disease in order to offer the cure.
5: Yeah, they seem to think that politicians, some of them are good, some of them are morally upstanding individuals, and then some of them are corrupt. Uh, you know, we, we want to get past all politicians and all those sorts of agreements. They don't, they're not necessary. We need... Scientists to go and establish whether global warming is existing, and if so, what can we do to prevent it or slow it down and uh, you know there's tons of scientists out that have done that very thing so you know we know what solutions there are
4: and tons of scientists though who have who have walked away from that and say this is a complete canard, but no one is paying attention to me uh, and i can't you know i won't I will not sign on to this. Uh,
2: you know, yeah. it's not. There,
4: it's, there is no, despite what everybody says, hmm. there is no consensus uh, uh, on, on global
5: warming. So what we need to do is act conservatively. If we have 90, 99% of scientists, uh, whatever the percentage is, that are saying one thing, um, and then, you know, another group of scientists that are saying another thing, we want to do what's most conservative. So if we can cut our carbon emissions and use renewable energy... You know, is what? How is that harming anybody? The only you all you need to know is that you are going to turn on your light, turn on your computer, use your energy source. You don't really care where it's coming from. There, are, it's indisputable that uh, it, this pollution to the environment and to our ecosystem from you know coal plants and natural gas uh, getting into your water stream, et cetera. So, you know, if we go to clean renewable energy sources and it's going to satisfy these ninety nine percent of scientists, it would probably also satisfy the one percent. Like, why would they be against? something that's clean and renewable.
4: Well, except if you're going to tell the developing world, like China and India, uh, here in the West, yes, I know that we uh, we uh, have, um, you know, stuffed our uh, our coffers with uh, with dollars, uh, you know, petrodollars, um, and we've done very well for ourselves over the last 100 years, but the game is over, and we're not going to allow you to do the same thing. How are you going to tell people in, 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 in China and deny them uh, what we've been doing for the last 100
5: years. We don't want to deny anybody anything. We have to share the resources of the planet. They're, uh, equal, they're, they're as much of a person as I am or you are. So, you know, we have. they're saying we want energy. And that's what basically they're saying. They're not saying we want coal plants or oil. They're saying that we want to be able to transport ourselves around our country. We want to have ener- a high quality of life. And we're offering that for everybody if we use renewable energy sources. We're just not using money. You know, the the problem is that the people... We want to prevent India from having it because there's a limited amount of oil out there, so we don't want them catching up too quick. It's too expensive for them to implement renewable energy, so you know we're thinking about money again. But we have, once we get past that, then everybody's happy. Everybody
4: agreed. But from, to benefit. get from here to there, where you want us to be, is <laughs> going to take a long time, mm-hmm. and it, it means we're going to have to continue to burn, uh, you know, gasoline for the foreseeable future. Uh,
5: Yeah, well, the transition is a very difficult question, but uh, I'd love to discuss it. All right, we'll talk about
4: transitions as I uh, segue into this commercial break. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show as we talk about the Zeitgeist Movement. Stay with us. You want the truth?
3: You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To get to the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740. Or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
3: We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them
4: off right in the middle of this second time speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers and brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders,
6: by our kings and queens. Brainwashed in the open and brainwashed behind the scenes.
3: Live from Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM
4: 740. Ah, welcome back. The website, RichardSerrett.com. Let me spell the last name S as in Simon, Y R E double T. RichardSerrett.com. That's your portal to The Conspiracy Show. And you can find information on upcoming shows there, as well as a past show audio archive if you missed a previous show, you can go back and listen. And uh, there's also a book and DVD club. Uh, What else? In the news, uh, an in the news section, you can also download um, episodes of Strange Planet, which is a weekly feature that runs here uh, Thursday, Friday, and or sorry, Friday, Saturday, and Sundays at 7.30 p.m. here on AM 740. And as always, I encourage you to follow me on Twitter. 309 followers. We've got to do better than that, folks. That's an embarrassment and a travesty and a sham of a travesty. Uh, Just kidding. I mean, hey, do me a a, a mitzvah and uh, follow me on Twitter. 309. We we, we have to do better than that. All right. Uh, Ryan Jarrett is uh, with us, a member of the Toronto chapter of the Zeitgeist Movement. And, uh, you know, we're... We're uh, agreeing on some things and maybe disagreeing on 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 some others in terms of the sort of the mission and the vision of the Zeitgeist movement. I guess I'm just an old, a a bit of a libertarian, and um, uh, I believe in uh, in God, and uh, I believe in the individual, and I believe in the right to own property, and I think uh, that that capitalism, although I think we we need a small i mean i'm not i'm not a one hundred percent libertarian we need some government inter, inter, uh, some government regulation a minimum amount of government regulation to protect individuals from the excesses uh, of capitalism um, but by and large, I think it works pretty well. Now, wouldn't you agree that, uh, uh, Ryan, that one of the things that's been very successful in terms of turning the lives around of of, of people in the developing world are these, you know, these uh, micro credit uh, lending institutions, where let's say a woman in Bangladesh wants to buy a sewing machine, a pretty basic piece of technology, she goes to one of these microcredit credit uh, lending institutions, which uh, was developed a short time ago by a Nobel Prize winning. Uh, Um, Economist, Uh, she gets maybe I don't know a forty five dollar loan. She has no credit uh, rating, uh, so otherwise she'd be turned away. She gets forty five dollars. She goes. She buys herself a machine. All of a sudden, she starts uh, I don't know taking in uh, uh, you know uh, hiring herself out as a seamstress. She makes a little bit of money. Um, She provides for her family. All of a sudden, we find that um, you know when the uh, when Literacy rates go up, uh, particularly among uh, females, and their education, and they and they become sort of entrepreneurs. All of a sudden, population uh, uh, levels start to de- decrease in the developing world. It's 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 working pretty well. It's, it's it's in its its early stages, but we have a model now.
5: You know, definitely um, the gentleman who invented uh, the Grameen Bank, I believe. Uh, has done some positive things and definitely changed lives in a positive way. But again, it's capitalism. <laughs> you know, you can't say any system is purely 100% bad. We're just trying, and, and neither is the system that I'm proposing here. Uh, 100% good. I'm just trying to get a better system, and I think it's a lot better. You, what you got here in your example, the woman gets um, a sewing machine, and so what is she going to do? She's going to be working on a sewing machine, you know, 40 hours a week. Say, if we she lives the Canadian or the American model. And what kind of a life is that? I mean, uh, while she might convince herself that she really enjoys working on a sewing machine, we could probably automate the manufacturing of whatever she's making, where she won't need to do that at all. And the reason she's doing it in the first place is so she could feed herself, have shelter, and possibly go on vacation, uh, you know, once in a while, have her kids get an education. All that will be for free. So she won't have to go and, you know, slave over a machine um, that'll just be done automatically. So, you know, in our system, we feel it's vastly superior to that. It's really just a patch uh, that uh, that Grameen Bank. It's nice in the capitalist system that we're living in that people are doing something. We uh, encourage people to do all kinds of volunteer work or, or work along those lines in terms of social activism or uh, you know social groups. But uh, really, it's it's just patchwork. Um, we have to really change the society itself, as in capitalism. But even deeper than that, the monetary system, which is money in and of itself. Not existing for a lot of these problems to go away. Well, in your utopian world, what is everyone going
4: to do with themselves once everything's on autopilot and these scientists are deciding and computers are deciding what course of action to take? And uh, I know
5: we're all sitting around with all this leisure time. What am I? Got? I, I got to work. <laughs> if you want to work, you could work. You could do whatever you want, Richard. It's it's not up to me to decide. It's up to you. You now have the freedom. If you want to do a radio show once a week, wonderful. It's not the technology that exists to do a radio show today. People could do it from their home. Uh, You know, they don't need to have even a studio anymore. So, you know, technology has has freed people to have a lot more radio stations, and people could broadcast as much as they like. But I can't have
4: more than anyone else.
5: If you are focused on radio stations, you know, not everybody's going to want to be focused on that. You have to choose what it is that you enjoy doing. If you want to travel the world, then go and do that. You know, Whatever it is that you like, the education is available for free. You want to go to the moon one day? Well Wonderful. So you know, we're going to put you on the moon, but you've got to get educated first. You're not just going to put any unqualified person up there. We need people to go through the program and do it. Today, if you want to do that, say you're a, you know, a young child and you dream of going to the moon, the probabilities that you're going to go are very low. You know, even if you do happen to get through the education, you get into the university of your choice, you could afford to pay for it. You got to get a job at an institution that's going to the moon, and even then, you got to have the right timing because you know maybe they don't have the funding to go to the moon for the next ten years. So, you know, if you really want to go in this system that I'm proposing, it's just a matter of getting educated. The resources are there to go. We know how to technologically do it safely, so we'll do it. It sounds like a good idea, but and and I, and I maybe
4: one day it'll happen, uh, but. We have such a long ways to go. I mean, we're at a, you know, Michio Kaku, the theoretical physicist, uh, sort of identifies civilizations. Um, we're like a zero civilization. Uh, someone who has mastered the power of the sun or cracked, the you know, the power of the sun, the sun uh, a fission uh, would be a sort of a, a level one technology. I mean, it, it seems to me in order for us to get where you want us to be, we would have to be sort of a level one civilization. That could take us... I don't know, a thousand years from now. And it
5: might happen in due course, but we can't rush it. Well, if we don't rush it, unfortunately, I think that we're going to have some very harsh times ahead. Um, Regardless of peak oil, whether uh, you you look into that or not, we're living in an infinite growth society. It doesn't take into account the resources of the planet. You know, the market cannot determine everything. When the oil prices spiked at uh, 147, you know, the demand just kept on going. The prices kept on going up, and the demand was keep on keeping up with it. So, you know, it's not just a supply and demand curve that's going to accurately portray how we're going to consume these resources. So, and and then if you start, you know, using renewable energies and using some of these sustainable technologies that we talk about, you are to eliminate a lot of jobs if so quick. And, you know, you're using energy that doesn't need to be extracted through the process of, of doing that. So all those people aren't employed anymore. You're having mass unemployment. It's a very difficult life. Already we see unemployment in the States nearing 10%, and that's, you know, the official statistic It's probably a lot higher. Um, you know, people are struggling today. They're, they're having a tough time getting by. So if people are struggling or you you see that around you, you see high crime in your neighborhood, you know, and you ask, what can we do to protect ourselves? What can we do to, you know improve the situation here, the sooner we do it, the better. Uh, I'm not saying that my solution is the only solution. It's the best I've heard. Uh, But uh, certainly we have to transition out of where we are because it's not sustainable and it's not going to work. Would I be allowed to own a gun in your world? You'd have no reason to want to own a gun. You don't want to own anything. I mean, really, since we'd have no property, you're not going to be owning these things. Um, What if
4: I have property when your
5: system takes place? Is someone going to take it away from me? uh, You know, it's going to have to be um, uh, to build... The transition period is going to be difficult, uh, but uh, certainly we want to build our own cities. We want to build cities from scratch. It's a lot more efficient to build a city from scratch than to repair the ones that we have.
4: And if that means expropriating my land?
5: Uh, well, you know, at some point, land is going to have to be expropriated. But that's again, why I need a gun. <laughs> okay. Well, again, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it, you know, if you want to shoot somebody that's trying to take your land, I can understand that in today's society, in today's mentality. But we're not. You're going to have a much better home in the end than you would have today. It's just going to be a lot more sustainable and efficient than it is today, and it's going to be in line with the system in place. I mean, in a global system where you're not using. Resources in a wasteful manner.
4: You see, there's there's so many people like me out there, and maybe I'm a dinosaur, maybe I'm backwards, but it's we're not just going to give it up because you say it's better for all of us. Mm-hmm. Well, know, if you understand it, it's it. It's, it's, good, it's not going to be, a, you know, this velvet revolution. <laughs> it, it's there's going to be bloodshed. There's going to be war.
5: You know, we would prefer an evolution rather than a revolution.
4: You, you would prefer, but you're prepared for the latter.
5: Unfortunately. Uh, we have to prepare ourselves because we feel that this, the, the environment is not going to allow us, as in the Earth's environment, as in the resources of the planet, are not going to allow us to keep going the way we're going determ- for an indefinite period of time. Whether it's your and my lifetime, we're going to be able to sustain this system, that's up for debate, I suppose. Uh, but you know, eventually, I think most people will come to the agreement that we cannot do this forever. You know, we cannot hold China and India down forever and not allow them to live a quality of life that we have here. And simply the way that we do it today, they can't. There's not enough resources for everybody to do that. So you know, if we want to have a, a peaceful system where everybody can have the, you know, the availability of the resources of the planet for everyone, then we have to transition to something at some point. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard Ryan Jarrett,
4: the uh, member of the Toronto chapter of the Zeitgeist Movement very eloquently uh, lay out his his plans, his vision for humankind in the future. And then there's me, this crusty old, God-fearing, gun-toting libertarian who's not going to give it up with a fight. Whose vision do you subscribe to? would love to hear from you. 416 Out of Town, toll-free from Maine to Minnesota, and Thunder Bay to the Carolinas,
3: 866-744-740. Keeping an eye on the New World Order, this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free, 1-866-740-4740.
4: All right. Who's on side with Ryan Jarrett of the Zeitgeist Movement here in Toronto? Do you agree with the Zeitgeist Movement or do you think it's just a pipe dream? Let's say hello to uh, Josh. Josh, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Where are you calling from?
2: Uh, hi, I'm calling from Toronto.
4: Welcome, Josh.
2: Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm a, well. Uh, I've I actually purchased both uh, copies of the movies when they came out. Okay. And I think they're really. Uh, I want to thank Peter and Jacques for at least uh, putting the information out there because uh, when you look at it from a technical standpoint and from an informational standpoint, the movies are very are actually tremendous in breaking the the spell that's on military. On on the minds of millions of people for cards to how the system works. I mean, if you're going to go through life not even questioning how this whole system came came about, then you've got serious, serious problems. And this is coming from a person who, such as myself, like, first of all, I'm the biggest proponent of a free enterprise uh, system because it allows people uh, the ability to uh, uh, pursue their goals, like, rationally with self interest. And, and make it the, uh, and have their outcomes, and, and look at the outcomes of their decisions. But the point is, we don't have a free market, and there's never been a free market since the implementation of the Federal Reserve and the fractional reserve making system. That uh, and all that information that Peter so succinctly put out uh, in the second film. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of libertarians out there uh, that follow Ron Paul, but I don't think uh many people in the mainstream media i'd say the paid paid agents of the mainstream media i mean they they give them 5 minutes and then that's it they go to, they go to sarah palin so that uh, you can already already see that uh people are not going to change back to the way things were before and and, and, a, and a, another question about our monetary system is governments they should be uh, forbidden from boring period right now even even, even if a central bank is nationalized, they're still, they're still borrowing the money at interest that doesn't exist in the system. So, I mean, and, and people still don't know how or why that works. And, and not questioning it is completely, it's completely crazy.
4: Well, Josh, I, I mean, I, I, um, I think we would agree, and many people listening would agree, that there are some serious problems with the creation of money. Um, but why... Why throw it all away? Uh, I mean, we can still, you know, preserve free enterprise, the capitalist system, the right to own property. Uh, but let's say go back to a uh, money that's 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 uh, based on, at the very least, you know, the total of the goods and services produced in a country. Or if you want to go back to the gold standard, I mean, there are some. I mean, there's manipulation in the gold market, so that might be fraught with some some problems. But yeah. we surely we don't have to give up. You know, the right to own things or the right to uh, sort of, uh, you know, the pursuit of, um, of happiness, happiness right. and all that means. I mean, the, the, uh, with all due respect to, uh, to Jared, I mean, I really don't want to live in a world that's governed by scientific bureaucrats uh, who tell me what I need, how much I get, and uh, that I'm the same as everybody else because I'm not.
5: You're not. No, we're not trying to promote that at all. You're an individual, as everybody is, and they're going to be entitled to whatever the resource of the earth can afford to allow for everybody. But you have to understand there's an abundance of these things. I don't know what it is in your daily life that you think a capitalist market is going to offer you, but the resource-based economy offers you that and more. Why do you need to own certain things? I mean, you just need to use them. It's the same well, thing. that's true. I mean, we really don't
4: own anything, do we? I mean, I borrow it. I don't own the house that I live in because uh well, the I bank mean, for or... a short term. Well, yeah. yes, and one day, even when I pay it off, I still have to pay property tax. And even then, I mean, we don't have the right to own. We don't have a right enshrined in the Constitution to property in this country, which I think is just absolutely disgraceful.
5: But even further, I mean, owning is is just a myth anyway. I mean, if you look at it, even if you did own your home in the way that you think you might like to own it, at the end, you're going to die one day or another. So yeah, I give it to my children. So, so it's it's basically a leased home. It's leased for your lifetime, right. and then it's going to be for someone else after that, and for their lifetime, and then then it goes on. So but, you know that's the that's what we're proposing here. So, so if you don't want to ever move, then fine. You get a lease for your lifetime on the home or the apartment that you want to live in.
2: Like for example, Richard, I, I, I let's say I wanted to uh, go out in outer space. Right. Right now, the technology is being held back for me to want to pursue that. Plus I don't have the money to learn to become an astronaut and and fly up and figure out how anti-gravity and all that stuff t- type of stuff works. For like for example on you know the crop circles, whatever intelligence is making that. I mean, that intelligence is not being paid to make all those d- designs designs in the field. That intelligence is a scientific mind. Right? He, often I hear people in the uf disclosure movement that they were make millions of dollars rewriting history. Well, those those beings—they've already transcended time and space, so that, therefore they don't need money. They've gotten so high in their civilization that they've surpassed the need for money. That's why. That's why. That's why they don't. That's why they're, they're not. They're not going to expose themselves to us anytime soon. And, 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 well, yes,
4: until, until such time though that we master, you know, uh, uh, quantum physics uh, and are able to, I don't know, utilize stargates and jump from. You know, uh, whether you want to call them interdimensional or intergalactic or hyperdimensional or whatever. But until we arrive at that point, I mean, I don't think there are no shortcuts, right? Uh, If there are intelligences out there that that are non-human that are able to do these things, that's taken them tens of thousands of years. And uh, they've survived, obviously... You know, those stages, uh, developing nuclear energy, they, they somehow managed not to destroy themselves, and they got to the next level, the next level, the next level, if in fact this is the case. But there are no shortcuts. I guess that's my point. Josh, thank, uh, thanks so much for the call. Let's say hi to uh, Jonathan joining us in Buffalo this morning. Hello, Jonathan. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Uh, hi, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you, sir?
1: Very good. I have one question. Uh, in listening to Jared, uh, what do we do?
4: Jonathan, you're cutting out on your cell phone.
1: For all the people that have... uh, What happens to the people that have committed evil? And, uh, I mean, evil's going to be still part of every man's... uh, Somewhere, and you're going to have to account for that, so... What what does he plan? I'll
4: hang up and listen. How do how do you account for evil? I guess yeah, it's a good
5: question. Um, really, you want to look at the root causes of crime itself, and uh, we want, we aim to get to a society where crime is is so minimized that it's really not uh, a factor in in most people's daily lives. Um, wh- what we do today is we seem to take uh, someone who's convicted of a crime and put them in a in a cell somewhere. And they're treated not very well. I mean, I think they don't get access to a lot of things that they probably want to get access to. And uh, when they get out, often they go right back into the same place. Um, they, they end up in prison. There's a very high percentage of, of people that go back to prison after they've already been. Because society itself doesn't actually look at them very positively. It's difficult to get a job. And, and it's very harsh. Uh, and their family maybe has given up on them, etc. So, you know, in our society, we don't want to imprison people. There actually won't be any prisons. What there will be instead... Is uh... you know people who will study the person who you know maybe uh, do, who did their crime and say how can we prevent this crime from happening again? If somebody steals a radio today, you know, in a system where the radios are available for free, there's really no incentive to steal it. I mean, it's just available, so you'll have it. You can't. You nobody's going to steal yours. They can't sell it, and they could get it for free. So, you know, if we eliminate that, so if we you're eliminate. Excuse theft, me, though, you're
4: assuming that yeah. that people steal. Uh, only steal out of want, and that, in other words, that the cause, the underlying cause of crime, is poverty. But mm-hmm. I think statistics prove otherwise. During the depression, the height of the depression in the United States, when many, many people were poor, dirt poor, the crime rate, you know, wasn't going through the roof. In fact, if, in fact, it was quite stable, quite low for for the, the, the duration of the of the depression. Some people uh, um, uh, 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 commit crimes uh, simply because they're wired the wrong way.
5: I disagree. I don't think anybody's wired to become a criminal. People could be wired different ways, that's true, but it's really their environment that will dictate whether they're going to be wired in a way to harm other people or to you know, help other people. What about pedophiles? Yeah. Again, if you look at the history of pedophiles and the way that they were brought up, usually it was from a troubled upbringing of some kind, or they were influenced by other media or other uh, you know people that they were that they came across in their lifetime to make them a pedophile. I don't think they were born a pedophile. I think maybe you could argue that they have propensities more likely to become pedophiles.
4: Most you- scientists, though, Jared, and and um, you're sort of hailing the. The, you know that we should we should um, bow down to the scientists, most scientists though today
5: agree that pedophiles cannot be rehabilitated well again the, we're not asking we're, we're talking one is rehabilitation and the other is why they came to be that way in the first place, right, right? so if we could prevent people from being that way in the first place, as in we we have a, you know a nurturous upbringing where people aren't impoverished and people can get a, a relevant education. Uh, and they have everything that they need and, and most things that they could ever want, I mean, a really much higher lifestyle than anybody lives today, even the very rich, I think, would be in this and lifestyle would just be the norm, um, then there, those people will be reduced. I mean, there will be a lot fewer of those people um, around. So, you know, the people that do commit uh, pedophilic uh, behavior yeah. and say, uh, you know, we can't have any way, of curing them, then they have to. They would have to be monitored. I would imagine there would be some kind of monitoring process in right. order to, you know, help out society in the best way. But we don't want to put them in a prison. That's not going to benefit them, and it's not going to benefit society. We want them to still contribute positively to society in their interest. Uh, so, you know, I don't think prisons are the answer.
4: No, I I, I would agree with you in, in in this respect, and that is uh, uh, the way that we warehouse people, particularly in in the United States. And I don't want to hold up the United States as, uh, you know, the uh, The bogeyman here. I I love um, what America stands for, um, but they they certainly do have a particular problem in terms of uh, their prison system. And when you have a society uh, that warehouses nonviolent offenders, for example, um, in privately run prisons for profit, in other Mm -hmm. words, I mean, these are publicly traded companies. So the more people that they put in prison, the more their shareholders (laughs) benefit. That is, to me, the definition of a sick uh, society, so uh, I would agree with you on uh, that score. To be sure, see there is some common ground, but still <laughs> uh, <laughs> many things that we disagree we're with. We're working on it. All okay. right, Ryan Jarrett is with the uh, Zeitgeist Movement here in Toronto. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna just continue on. Are you good uh, to stay? Uh, yeah, out a yeah bit I'm later? good. Let's, let's keep All going. All right, uh, we'll get to some more calls. Uh, Enon is uh, checking in from the Midwest. Marie's in Toronto. Nelson calling in from parts unknown. Here on the Conspiracy Show, AM seven forty. Don't go away. <laughs>
3: of darkness the conspiracy show with richard sarin from zoomer radio am 740 to see the light call richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free in ontario at
4: 1-866-740-4740 ryan Jarrett is with us the zeitgeist movement toronto these movements have uh, popped up in over 50 countries, 400,000 members worldwide, inspired in large measure by the um, documentary Zeitgeist the Movie, and then later Zeitgeist uh, Addendum, and uh, which in turn, I guess, was sort of inspired by the Venus Project.
5: That's right. Yeah, if you want to learn more, actually, um, Richard, I just to throw out these websites, you could go to thezeitgeistmovement.com, um, to find out more about your local chapter, that uh, you know we're in so many countries now that uh, probably would have one. If not, you could start one. Uh, it's very easy to start one. The tools are available there, and you could also get access to a lot of educational materials. If you want to learn more about specifically the Venus Project, which is the direction that we we propose, um, we advocate. Uh, you could go to thevenusproject.com. It's v e n u s thevenusproject.com. And uh look into the frequently asked questions I think is, is very important. So uh, we can answer these questions tonight. But if you have any more, um most of or most of the most common ones are on that website and I'm sure you get sufficient answers there.
4: Here's the um the interesting uh sort of contradiction. Uh in order to get from where we are now to where you want us to be, you're gonna need money. You're mm-hmm. gonna need you're gonna need, you know, Entrepreneurs and capitalism humming along on all eight cylinders for the foreseeable future, uh, in order to arrive at a point where you can sort of destroy the capitalist system.
5: Yeah, unfortunately, that's that's very true. Uh, you can't really do a lot these days without money, so um, we're we're held back by that. I think we do have, um, in one way, uh, volunteers will are already existing, and these chapters. Nobody's getting paid in this movement, even. Peter Joseph himself uh, doesn't really make much money off of these movies. They're available online for free. You could download it, burn it on a DVD, and and do anything you want with it. He, he doesn't uh, support really selling it. He does sell it on the webpage for five bucks, but you could just as easily get it for free if you have um, you know a nice DVD burner. But uh, in terms of promoting this, we do need money in order to, uh, to market it. So in Toronto, at least, what we're doing on a local Filthy level- Filthy lucre. <laughs> It's tough. I mean, uh, we we have people putting forward, uh, you know, twenty bucks here, twenty bucks there, that are members of this movement, so we could burn some DVDs and give them out, so we could burn some promotional material, uh, you know, and, and some flyers and stuff. But uh, right now, um, we're trying to avoid spending almost any money. Because we don't want, like asking people for money. I mean, we're advocating a system with no money. We don't really want to ask for it. So, uh, while we've gotten some small donations here and there, uh, we use it to our best ability. But people just contribute what they think is is the best for the movie. How do you How do you live your philosophy? Uh, do you
4: Do you own stock in a company, for example?
5: <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I am an accountant, and um, I- You're uh, working for the man. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I do have to make a living uh, in order to uh, put food on the table, as does everyone. So I think uh, most people in this movement have to make a living. Um, now, you want to do it in a way that is most sustainable. So I work for a non-profit organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's that's as consistent so as do I, I, I can be. It's called radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> These days, is very accurate. Um, but, uh, you know, one day in the Venus Project, you don't have to worry about uh, the advertising. In fact, there wouldn't be any- um, so uh, you know, I try to contribute as much as I can in a way that's consistent with my lifestyle. I want to live. I want to use sustainable products. Do you own a car? I do not own a car. I use public transport.
4: You use the uh, TTC. TTC. yeah. The largest single consumer of electricity in the
5: province—electricity <laughs> that is powered by coal-fired plants. Uh, well, I don't have a lot of choice. I like to use my bicycle when I can. Okay. Um, I prefer that. But if but... you were traveling around,
4: let's say you bought a. Um, the most obnoxious vehicle out there, let's say a Hummer, <laughs> okay. but you got three or four of your friends yeah. and you carpooled, driving around in that big behemoth a Hummer would be more environmentally friendly than you taking the TTC, my friend.
5: Carpooling is uh, is a one way to go. That's true. Mm-hmm. You try to do as best as you can. See, you know. cars are good. Uh, well, you know, I'm not saying that we can't have cars. I'm saying we have to have sustainable cars. You know, the the oil is not sustainable, it's a finite resource, so I don't think it's the best way to right. power the cars.
4: Let's say hello to uh, the Midwest, and it's Anonymous. Hello, Anonymous.
1: Yes, um, I want to ask you if you had a libertarian utopia, what you would do with people like me, because I live on disability. Um, I was homeless for quite a number of years. I've never been an addict of any kind. But that whole time I was trying to hold on to jobs, and I I couldn't, and I wasn't accepting my sickness. And I approached a couple of religious-based charities who received donations of money, and they pretty much told me to go jump in the lake. They didn't care. Even when I told one of them I was going to end my life, um, she just had a really cold tone to her voice and said, well, just go to a hospital. And uh, so I'm not, you know, a slouch and I had a sense of pride, and I was I was trying to pull myself up by my own bootstraps for quite a number of years while I was homeless, and finally I got into the medical system and diagnosed by doctors, and, and now I'm on disability, but in a libertarian utopia. I mean, are you guys social Darwinists? I mean, would you say, well, I would have to go by the wayside and, and die? Well,
4: hardly. I mean, it's quite the contrary, first of all. Uh, whoever told you to go jump in a lake um, was was not a Christian, and I'm I'm sorry that that happened to you. Uh, the the whole, I mean, social Darwinism was an unintended consequence, but a consequence nonetheless of Darwinism, and uh, which has become the new state religion. Okay, not uh, I mean that's a far cry from the, sort of the Christian mores that uh, that I would uh, uh, advocate in my libertarian. Uh, Utopia, which subscribes to the notion of um, take care of yourself, take care of your family, take care of your neighbors, and you would be my neighbor, and I would. Uh, I mean, what's wrong with uh, Jared, for example, giving everyone a small piece of land and allowing them uh, to take care of their family? You know, get the government's uh, hand out of our hip pocket so we can keep more of what we make. I I think I can make a better decision about. It you know, what's best for my family than some distant government in Ottawa or, you know, God forfend, a one-world government in The Hague uh, telling me how to run my family. And and allow, you know, uh, uh, and given my... My Christian upbringing. I think I know right from wrong, and I would take care of, uh, do the best of my ability to take take care of people like Anonymous in the Midwest, rather than some impersonal check that goes into the welfare system and that somehow maybe finds its way to Anonymous, but I never actually get over to Anonymous's house to, you know, help her get some groceries or whatever. Uh, to me, I mean, the socialist system is far more impersonal and uncaring. Uh, but what's wrong with just allowing me to to take care of myself and my family? I can do it. I don't need anybody's help as long as I don't have someone's hand in my hip pocket.
5: Yeah, you know, you got a point. Uh, probably a lot of people would be able to live um, a pretty decent quality of life uh, for a certain period of time, but they are limited by the resources of the planet. The one, the, the resources that you consume in your home, you know, uh, unless you're growing all your food. Um, and you're somehow making oil for your car. I don't know where you're going to go. You know, you're dependent on other resources in order to live any kind of resemblance of the quality of life that you have now. So, you know, we have to have some kind of way of regulating that those resources to make them most sustainable and efficient.
4: Well, yeah, but you know what does a pretty good job of regulating how we use resources? It's the free market. If you know, there's uh, if if gasoline goes up to six dollars a gallon.
5: I'm gonna cut back on my gasoline use to an extent you can but I mean you still have to eat if if as you as you pointed out earlier you still need uh, you know fossil fuels in order to have the food on your table so you know as much as you might be able to cut back on your car you're not gonna really cut back a lot on your eating so that eating is gonna get a lot more expensive and prohibitively expensive for a lot of people
4: well but if I make the decision to, to to buy locally Uh, which we try to do, you know, the 100-mile diet and all of that.
5: Yeah, that's true, but that isn't sufficient. I mean, the, the amount of the percentage of food that we import is a lot higher than the amount of locally grown food that could support the population. So you can't, right now at least... We don't have a locally grown infrastructure. Feed everybody that lives in no, Toronto.
4: That that is true. We need a food policy. Uh, we were in Longo's a couple of years ago, and uh, we were saying, "Where's the locally grown produce? We want to buy Ontario. We want to buy." And the guy says, "We don't grow anything around here, just houses." Which mm. is so true. I mean, we have to have a food policy right. uh, in this province and in this country yeah, so... uh, to be sure. Let me grab a quick call. Uh, let's say hello to uh, Nelson. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show, Nelson.
6: Hey, how you doing? Nick? Hey, it's our good friend Richard.
4: Thank you, our good friend media scientist Nelson Thal. Hey, Nelson, you're hearing uh, uh, Ryan uh, Jared. Are you uh, uh, are you buying the Zeitgeist movement?
7: Well, it's not a
6: matter of buying it or not buying it. I, I I I I um I think that the term Zeitgeist means time spirit, and I certainly think it's important for all of us to find some way to get in touch with this time spirit of our times. Um. You know, I just came back. I uh, uh, wanted to just recap with you, Richard. Uh, you did uh, the birther issue and brought that out on radio and was was the first one on a boom station, a bulltorch station, to, to talk about the birther issue, weren't you?
4: Uh, oh, uh, whether or not Barack Obama is eligible to be president, yes.
6: Right. And you brought the attorney general, uh, former attorney general of Pennsylvania, Berg, on air?
4: A number of times.
6: And uh, he claimed that in his reading as a lawyer that uh, Obama was ineligible.
4: Uh, correct, yes. And now
6: we've gotten proof from the the horse's mouth that he is ineligible and oh. that he was not born in, in the United States. And he won the Fulbright Award. And to win the Fulbright Prize, you've got to be approved to be. So he went out of his way to prove that he was not an American citizen. Explain was a foreign student. Explain that prize. So it's a complete issue. It's done. It's now out in the open. Wait
4: a second. He and won the Fulbright he's admitted he won the Fulbright and in order to win the Fulbright you have to be a foreign student? That's right. That I didn't know.
6: Right. And that was all been covered up and he sealed all his records so you couldn't get at it. But now Occidental he's admitted College, yes. publicly himself that he was born in Kenya. So you know I think it's important by admitting you
4: won the Fulbright things it
6: shows hmm. that the methods that we use to establish truth has been proven time and time and time again we do it as media scientists and we get to the bottom of it
4: well uh, if in you fact got to the
6: bottom of it and that now it's come out but originally when we said it they people thought we were crazy what the president ineligible
4: well uh, you know we what said, they
6: say yeah I mean we don't make value judgments we just follow the the, the facts
4: the truth goes through three stages first it is ridiculed. Secondly, it is violently opposed, and third, it is uh, accepted as self-evident. So, I get, are we in stage three, Nelson?
6: Yeah, I think we're in stage three. Definitely are, stage
4: three. All right, my friend. Thanks as always so, for anyway, checking in. Anyway, um,
6: uh, it's. I just want It's important to recap that because uh, you know you brought him on, and that was a terrific thing. And you, and Richard, you brought Sherman Skolnick on. The first one to bring him on Blowtorch Station, and you were the one that had the guts to let Sherman Skolnick claim something which was bizarre at the time. Remember what it was? and it turned out to be true, just like this. What was it?
4: Uh, at that time, there were uh, allegations, uh, according to Sherman Skolnick, that uh, George W. Uh, Bush was uh, a the homosexual. Lover of the, the mayor uh, former, of Knoxville,
6: Tennessee. The
4: former mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee, yes. Ash. Yes. And well i don't know that be that be has true. been sufficiently it proven turned out to be true well has it
6: absolutely it's been verified it's been substantiated it's been sealed it's done it's complete i mean it's so it's 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 forensically in the books it's in the court records
4: all right well i don't yeah. know uh uh yeah uh, uh, victor ash
6: and school said it years ago and of course it turned out to be true Mm-hmm. So there's all these interesting things that the public just doesn't get told. That's the, the propaganda of the media. So zeitgeist, <laughs> the zeitgeist of our times is how to overcome this, the propaganda and censorship of the media. I mean, obviously 9-11 was an inside job, you know. <laughs> You're going to go counting blades of grass worrying about that, right? <laughs> well, Richard, come on, you know. You, 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 we're not going to get let the, that, those, that distract us.
4: Except I guess I'm I'm in the media, so I don't know. Am I distracting? Am I? Oh, uh... you're not
6: distracting.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't quite figured that out yet. Nelson, what's well, coming we're up here on? Well, uh... we
6: backstage in the Global Theater, keeping an eye on the uh, the lever pullers.
4: Well, I'm scrabbling around in the dark, I guess, like everyone else, trying to find the truth wherever it may lead, and uh, uh, not there yet, I guess. But we just keep scrabbling, and then, uh, you know, when they get uh, tired of my version of the truth, I pack up and move on to another radio station.
6: Anyway, while I'm on, let me just plug com.
4: Yes, com. Okay. Shock talk. What's coming up on the program?
6: Well, we're going to go into the shocking truth about the uh, uh, the so-called moon landing of 1969. Oh. And, of course, uh, we're drawing from uh, Andreas von Bulow. I'm going to be, have talked to him. And, you know, we talked in the past, and I've spoken to other heads of... Directors of intelligence agencies, and we had Morgan Freeman on, uh, Morgan Reynolds, sorry, who was in the Bush ca- administration two years ago, who just brought radiation scientists and NASA scientists and everybody, and showed that the whole thing is an uh, absolute forensic impossibility. In other words, we can't so get to them. We're going to go into all that with uh, once again with Reynolds, who was uh, uh, in the Bush cabinet, and he was a scientist in the Bush cabinet, and he was emeritus professor at Texas a m and other NASA
4: scientists who,
6: behind the scenes, know like it's that uh, so we didn't land on they the moon. We did be- it already stage three there, Richard.
4: In other words, we we can't MK get to the moon because of the the Van Allen belts. MK Is that ultra
6: it? astronauts?
4: We can't get to the moon because of the Van Allen belts. Is that the idea? Well,
6: you know, the, the radiation scientists say, right. "Come on, don't be silly. You'd need a a Brinks truck, and it uh, wouldn't help you. You'd have to be able to put uh, heavier than a Brinks truck." Because of the radiation.
4: Hmm. My, my conspiracy and, theory and so evolving... Again,
6: we don't know the truth, but we no. speak to the scientists and the head of the intelligence agencies, and we find out the real court truth. All
4: right. Uh, Bloom, so and that's truth we'll on, uh, Bloom and, and Steel... The rest the talking
6: truth will do on Thursday night.
4: BloomandSteel.com. Great
6: being on with you. Thanks a lot.
4: All right, my friend. The uh, the lunar landing... Host. I, uh, my conspiracy revolving around the lunar landing is... Um, I think we got there, but I think we, we, we were there far earlier than 1969, and I think we, we went back far long, or long after 1973. But uh, I think we got to the moon, pretty sure. And uh, anyway, <laughs> Nelson Thal is always a pleasure to have on the program. Do I owe you a take break? Care, Rich. Thank you, Nelson. Yeah, David? Thanks a lot. Bye bye. All right. Why don't Go we ahead. take care of some business, come back, and we'll get to uh, Marie in Toronto and some other calls. And uh, we got a little side rail there, but uh, always fun to check in with uh, Nelson Thal. We'll get back to the Zeitgeist movement here in a moment on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett.
3: The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740.
4: All right, last calls to the phone. Last call to the phone, 416 3600740 416 3600740 Toll free from out of town. Toll free out of town from Maine to Minnesota, Thunder Bay to the Carolinas, 866-740-4740. 866 740 And rounding out the show uh, with us is Ryan Jared from the Toronto Zeitgeist Movement. This has been an interesting discussion because... Um, uh, I think we touched a nerve. I mean, you touched my nerve in some areas. I, 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 don't know. I do you think I'm a dinosaur? I mean, am, am I, am I the problem? Uh, you know, the, the fact that I still believe in the right to own property, and I believe in 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 uh, in God, and and uh, that the individual uh, is supreme,
5: uh, and um, that I know what's best for my family. Am I the problem? Uh, yeah, so no. me. I mean, yes or no, I mean, yes and no. I think uh, you your interpretation of property is different than mine. I say, um, what it is that what define property in your mind? Like, what practically is it that you have Give that me, you want?
4: Give me, you know, land, lots of land, land. with you sunny land. skies above. Okay, Don't
5: so fence me <laughs> in, Ryan. I, I mean, I, there'll be cities, uh, obviously, in the Venus Project, but there'll be people living outside the cities just as much. Uh, so I think it's most efficient to have uh, people living in one area.
4: Am I going to be you know, in orange coveralls working on a, uh, you know, a <laughs> government-owned work farm?
5: No, no. You will gonna, hold turnips gonna, today, Mr. Sarrad, and you will like it. We're going to manufacture uh, things with machines and automation, so you will not mm. have to put on those overalls. You know, you're going to be doing whatever it is you like to do. So you will be a lot more free, I think, than you are today. And the property that you have today, whatever property that takes the form of, you're going to have access to all of that. It's just you're not going to be able to own it because owning it is wasteful. Everybody wants to own it. We have to produce six billion, six and a half billion of them, yeah. you know. So why do we want to produce six and a half billion if at any any time, you know, people are going to be only be using just a small portion of it?
4: But you're going to have to overcome human nature and that old saying that, uh, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the people at the top, I mean uh, – you know, this the, in the communist system, you still had capitalism, but it was capitalism for those that were in the Politburo, and then in communism for everybody else. It's going to be the same in your system. Those, you know, uh, scientists uh, that are going to be in charge of making all the decisions, they're going to have, uh, they're going to have the power, and it's just human nature. They're going to, they're going to, it's, they're going to get carried away. It's going to go. Eventually, it happens to the best of us. I think you know, Robert started, uh, um, Mugabe started yeah. Mugabe started out as a great guy
5: yeah, a lot of politicians do start out, uh, you know, altruistic to some extent, and communism, I think, also had the idealism that they were going to do that. But we're we're going through, we're surpassing all of those systems. I mean, we're really not dealing with politicians anymore, and the scientists that you speak of that are going to be just as much as politicians, they're not. They're working on specific projects in specific areas. You know, there's only you want to get involved in that system. There's nothing stopping you. Today, we elect one person or just a small group of people to do that. In this system, there's not going to be that kind of limitation. You know, not a lot of people won't need to get involved, but you can if you want to if you want to you know be an expert on how to build this you know particular city system, that's great you could do it and then you know once we have these sustainable options in front of us, maybe you could ha- you can have a democratic vote of the general public to say, we want to create these kinds of buildings to do schools to have uh, entertainment facilities and potentially those options would be available and they'd be, it'd be a lot more democratic than we have today. Uh, But overall, we need people that have the experience and have the ability, the technical knowledge, in order to make things that are going to be efficient and not wasteful and are going to benefit the most amount of people.
4: Marie is in Toronto. Good evening. Good morning, Marie. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show, AM 740.
8: Good morning, Richard. Um, I've been trying to get the truth out for four years, and uh, I'm still on number two. Um, You're
4: being violently opposed.
8: Oh, more, much more than that. I mean, I'm being poisoned. I'm being tortured. All my friends are being threatened. It's just a joke. So, you know, I love the concept of capitalism and free speech and all that other stuff, but it's just such a two-faced, deceitful, evil system that people have no idea whatsoever about what is really going on and you're never going to affect any type of change unless you know everything people are enlightened about what is really happening and these people at the top they play god with your life and you know if 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 you happen to be some poor kid that that gets uh, involved with the police in any way, shape, or form, right from that age of 12, 13, 14, 20, you go on their bad books. And you're the ones that are going to be hunted by these people, and you're the one that's never going to own a company, and you're the one that's never going to publish anything. Um, You know, I'm an an accountant, too. Uh, I can't get a job. I sent my two books to New York. Canada Post stole my book. You know, it's just it's just so, so sick. Well, there are a lot of
4: injustices in in the world, um, Marie. Um, But does that mean? What does that mean for you exactly? That we throw away this system and
1: our
8: freedom and our capital system is just an illusion. These you know these people play God with your life. If they don't want you to own a house, you'll never own a house. If they don't want you to own a business, you'll never own a business. If, you know, half of the people, they actually want to make homeless, penniless, and poor, just like that woman was saying, you know, that she was. Uh, And it's just, you know, either it's one way or or it's another. And I never believed in communism. You know, uh, I think the the person that, you know, uh, has bright ideas should be able to get further ahead or whatever. But it doesn't work that way. It works on, you know, who they think uh, should get somewhere in life, and who they think should die, or who they think should be homeless, and well, that's how our system works. Yeah,
4: there's corruption, there's terrible corruption, but I mean, my 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 worldview is is thus. I I mean, I'm as a Christian, the world is fallen, and you're not going to fix it entirely. I mean, we can make but you things. You can't ba- fix
8: what people can't see. Most people think, oh no, this is a great society. Oh, we have freedom, and uh, they still uh, live that you know, American dream of, uh, you know, I can, I can become anything, which is all total BS.
4: Well, uh, for some, maybe it is, and for others, maybe not so much, and you know, we've, obviously there's much work to be done. Um, well, but... how
8: can you do it if, if, you, if you can't bring out the facts, if you can't bring out what is really happening? You can't do it because people...
4: Wow, we try to do that on this program and talk about what what certain people
8: are... I know, but there are very little few programs like yours, and there's a huge big media system, and a lot of people never hear your program. You probably have so many little uh, Twitter followers because they're afraid to follow you, you know, and, and that's the truth. And to me, it's just so sick. It's so evil. It's deceitful.
4: Maria, I gotta. I, I hate to cut you off and okay. censure you, but I do. We'll we'll talk again. Okay. All right. Back Bye. with uh, a few closing comments here on the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. You're listening to an
0: exclusive podcast of the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740.
4: All right. The fire log is down to its last burning embers so a few moments remain in the program we're just about to dim the lights here and call it a night but uh, let's get to uh, ian who's been very patient waiting out in port mcnichol welcome to the program ian
7: hi richard uh just a quick comment here and a question for you um, my alarm bells are going off right now actually um, this zeitgeist movement is part of, of something the venus project yes Okay, quick question for you. In the world of the esoteric, when you hear the word Venus, like what comes to mind? Uh,
4: yeah. let's see, Venus. Uh, what's the um the Roman okay. god, a well, goddess?
7: Okay, myself, like from my studies, I I think of uh, pentagrams.
4: Pentagrams. Yep. Okay. That's what I see. Ah, you see and, these, uh, the, the work thing, of the devil. <laughs>
7: uh, well, and the other thing that got my concern there too was um, he talked about uh, the truth about nine eleven is just a way of thinking.
5: Yeah, well, the the movie promotes a way of thinking. They use nine eleven to do that. Nine um, eleven in and of itself is not what we talk about. That we think that's a symptom, not a cause. We try to treat causes here.
7: Yeah, well, but I, I think that all the problems in the world are the symptoms of a cancer. Yes, we we need to expose the conspiracy that's caused this huge mess that we're in here, and. 9/11. If you ask me, is there Achilles' heel. So, like, just to brush it off is just a way of no, no. Thinking. I don't
4: think that's that, that's fair. I think, I mean, we, you know, we 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 could have talked a greater at greater length about the movie and about 9/11. But we were talking about you know the Zeitgeist movement, and uh, I don't know if you caught the entire show, but but, but what uh, Ryan was saying is that what happened. Uh, during 911 and he's trying to be inclusive here whether or not you subscribe that it was uh, to the the notion that it was an inside job or whether it was some other conspiracy the idea is that it it's a symptom of a sick system that we have that's that was the point that he was making he well, certainly wasn't dismissing I, it as a Oh
7: no I, I agree our our system is sick but I we need to expose it and I mean right now trust is something that's earned in this game and so but just with a name like the Venus project I think they should have
4: thought twice before choosing a name like that. Well, where does, mm-hmm. let me ask you, Ryan, directly. No. Why is it called the Venus Project?
5: Uh, it, the reason it's called, that, it's called that is because they made a research facility in a place called Venus, Florida. Venus is just a small little town, I think, uh, in Florida. I haven't been there. But uh, there's no other significance, um, no other relevance, really, aside from just the location that they were able to get enough piece of land to build their facilities. So if you go to the Venus Project website, you can see what the facilities look like. There's also uh, an online tour you could have of of the grounds, um, it's a beautiful uh, place to live. I think sounds fairly innocuous. Ian, are you no. satisfied with that explanation?
7: Um, well, sorry, Ryan, I'm uh, I'm a conspiracy theorist, <laughs> not <a> coincidence
5: <laughs> theorist. Uh, That's enough. all
4: right. All that means is just dig some fr- yeah. dig dig further uh, I until you're satisfied. You to, Ian. Exactly.
5: I encourage for you to take my call, Richard.
4: All right, Ian, oh, always a pleasure. All right, uh, salute to Port McNichol. All right, we are um, we're just about done. So, um, Ryan, anything else that you want to uh, mention that we haven't brought up during the program about the Zeitgeist Movement you'd like to say?
5: Uh, Sure. I mean, uh, I think um, I encourage everybody to look into it. Don't just take my word for it uh, or Peter Joseph's word, the guy who made the movie. But, you know, if you want a first step, an introduction, I would would recommend watching the Zeitgeist Addendum film. You could find that on uh, thezeitgeistmovement.com. Um, and uh, taking a look at that, challenging the information, always questioning things uh, in your daily life and about our society in general. And uh, if you do that, then I think you'll get to our solution eventually.
4: And if they want to join the Zeitgeist Movement here in Toronto, what do they do? Uh,
5: we have a website, zeitgeist-toronto.com. You could also find it off the com. Uh, and you could, if you uh, go there, you'll see where our next public meeting is. I encourage you also to buy tickets to Jacques Fresco's lecture in October, October second. You could buy that off our web page as well.
4: Ryan, uh, thanks for coming, and great pleasure talking to you. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. All right, my thanks uh, to producer David Gaskin. How'd I do? Was that right, David? David Gaskin. Good job. You're a fine young man. All right, uh, back next week. I believe UFOs are on the menu, so... Oh, Victor Vigiani is back in town after a, uh, an extended vacation in Australia. So uh, the full two hours we'll talk about UFOs. Always look forward to that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. And what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite, I'm coming home. Good night.